Good morning. Welcome to worship with Northminster Church, however you have joined us for this service. Whether you come here every Sunday or this is your first time to worship with Northminster, I encourage you to feel comfortable if you can and so you can participate in every part of the service because you are welcome to do that. I'm well aware of the multiple kinds of diversity uh, in this congregation. Almost every Sunday, the congregation has someone in it filled with joy and another with sadness. Each worshiper has his or her own emotions that's welcome. Uh, questions nag at some of us, and then others say, I feel stronger in my faith than I've ever felt. Needs vary, and we hope that all of them are touched helpfully while we're here this morning. Now, Let's bring ourselves together as one body of worshipers as we further move into worship. It is good to gather and to say to each other the words Paul wrote to his beloved people of Corinth. We are come to worship the great giver of grace. Here we find common ground, mutual love and respect, and goodwill for all people. Let us worship the God of grace and God of glory.
A reading from the book of the Acts of the Apostles. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This account from the early church is one of our sacred stories. There are always 
prayers to pray. Prayers from us and prayers for us. This morning, um, I know that's true for every one of us. I want to make a suggestion or two about prayers this morning. Uh, Claire and Zachary are in the process of being at a new place with their family and going into a new kind of ministry. I hope we'll pray for them. I hope we pray for those people who are now facing the coronavirus and the Delta variant storm again. And I hope that we will pray for our brothers and sisters in Cuba who are some of the best people in the world who just want freedom. You have your own. And so in the quietness of the next moments, offer your own prayers and then I will close us with a prayer for all of us. Let's say our prayers. Holy God, there is so much we want to talk about with you without anyone else knowing what we say to you. We fear the judgment of other people, like we hate the condemnation we aim at ourselves. Oh God, we worry fret, weep on our pillows, grieve over failures, try to change others, hide our envies, seek our efforts to be perfect, pursue every promise of good health, purchase any product that promises us a better way of living, try to look happy when our heart is breaking, say we are fine when nothing is going right, and remain on edge searching for a person, an emotion, faith, hope, and something more. Hear us, please, Holy One, as we sincerely pray with St. Augustine. Make our hearts restless until we find our rest in you. Amen.
A reading from the letter of Paul to the church at Corinth. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind. Just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? This is one of Paul's teachings to the early church. Thanks Thanks be to God.
one of the best teaching experiences I've ever had in my life was at Simmons University, an African-American school in Louisville, Kentucky, where while working on my PhD, I served as the school's dean and professor of religion. Most of my students who lived amid grinding poverty during the late 60s and 70s were individuals who late in their lives felt a call to ministry and wanted an education sufficient to do ministry. These would-be seminarians were ravenously hungry for learning in order to be better thinkers, to be better ministers. I've never forgotten an occasion when a young man who was blind and taking notes in Braille spontaneously blurted out loud in response to a point that I had just made saying, oh, I needed that. You can teach when that happens. One day in class, during a discussion on church, biblically, theologically, administratively, pragmatically, I noticed that there was an older gentleman in the class who seemed to be having a pretty good bit of trouble with what I was saying about leadership and authority in a church. And finally, like a time bomb, he exploded, emphatically saying, I run my church. With a smile, I asked, what do you mean? I mean just what I said, he responded with his voice getting a little bit louder. Why, just, let me tell you, why just last week, one of my deacons messed up carrying out his assignment in worship, and I, from the pulpit, told him, just sit down. I run my church. Somewhat teasingly, I ask, if you don't mind telling me, who gave the church to you? What do you mean? It came back to me defensively. I said, I think my question is clear. Who gave you the church? The students said in stunned silence that I finally broke, saying, I, um, I raised this important question with you because I have always believed that the church belongs to God and that we are servants in it and stewards of it. The model for the church was provided by the nature and ministry of Jesus. That, that's what I thought the Bible teaches us. Did I get that all wrong? And the good-natured exchange 
of words between the student and me ended with the older man saying, oh, you know what I mean. Yes, I did know what he meant. His claim lacked neither clarity nor precedent. In the mind of this student, the church of which he was pastor was his church. Now, you know, it's, it's one thing to say with pride, that's my church. Speaking proudly of a, a place and a body of people devoted to worship and ministry. But, but that's very different from someone making that statement possessively, that is my church. Sadly, sometimes only a few people try to keep a congregation going because most attendees do not want to shoulder any responsibility in the church. Frankly, that is as sad as a few people in a church who assume they own the church and singularly will shoulder all of the responsibility of running the church as if no one else needed to. As you would expect, without significant change in both of these situations, a congregation may sustain a social organization mistaken about its authentic identity as a church. I wish I could tell you that the minister in my class was an exception uh, rather than a norm. However, the student's attitude is redundant in far too many places. A story from, and probably some of you've heard this, a story from a few decades back has remained lodged in my brain. Several decades ago, I heard that one Sunday morning, a New York cab driver picked up a man wanting to be transported to Christ Church in the city. Immediately, the cab driver wanted to be sure that he was headed in the right direction, so he said, do you mean Dr. Fosdick's church on Riverside Drive? No, 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 the writer said. Oh, then the driver said, well, you must mean Dr. Buttrick's church, Madison Avenue Presbyterian. Again, no, rang out from the back seat. Well, surely then you are looking for Marble Collegiate Church, uh, Dr. Peel's church. And when the man in the back seat trying to get to Christ Church responded negatively once more in obvious frustration, the cab driver said, sir, I am sorry Honestly, I don't think Christ has a church in this city. <laughs> now, those anecdotes lodged in my mind to an extent. 
that in most of the churches I have pastored through the years, uh, every year or every three or four years, I have posed the question that is the title of my sermon for today. Whose church is it? Sometimes I pose the query more professionally. To whom does this church belong? Well, after pondering the two passages of Scripture that we just heard read, and if you put those in a chronological order, you will see a warning. I see a warning. The writing of 1 Corinthians is usually dated 59 AD. In the opening words of that letter, the writer reports division and quarreling in the church, arguments about who owned the church, who should lead the church. Some said Paul, others said Apollos, others Cephas, and still others Christ. The author of 1 Corinthians made clear that the church in Corinth was in trouble. And it was not only dividing the church, it was dividing Christ. Five years or so later, around 62 A.D., when the book of Acts was uh, written, the author of that literature described a a church that was following the apostles' teachings and uh, nurturing a strong fellowship. Individuals in that church took care of each other physically and spiritually. As the writer says, having favor for each other with a generous heart. One of the most beautiful scriptures I know in the Bible is Acts 4.34, which says about that congregation, there was not a needy person among them. They were together. Now what happened in Corinth is easily understood when the translation of 1 Corinthians is read in the original language of the text, Koine Greek. When read in Greek, the translation reveals redundant emphasis on the pronoun I. I. The first person singular pronoun appears three times in each statement. As these people talked about, I'm one of them. I indeed, I, I am of Paul. I indeed, I, I am of Apollos. I, I indeed, I am of Cephas. So who was in charge? Well, there, right there's the answer. There you have it. The eyes have it. Uh, unbridled selfishness, egocentric people in Corinth divided the church and provided the question that I put before you this morning. 
Whose church was it in Corinth? See how different that church is from the church in Acts? There were problems in Corinth, and there are problems everywhere else when the answer to my question, whose church is it, begins with I or me. In the second line of 1 Corinthians, the correct answer to the question, whose church is it, appears. The answer is God, the church of God. The church belongs to God. Jesus gave us a model for how people are to live individually and corporately in a church. Through scriptures inspired by God, we are provided specific character traits of a church, which, if missing, Uh, in an institution is a dead giveaway that the institution is not a church. Not even constructing an attractive and highly visible sign out in front of a building that has the word church in it, that can't make an institution a church if that institution does not clearly exhibit a commitment to the way of Jesus and the traits of a church as envisioned by God. Every aspect of the corporate life of a church should be shaped by the life and teachings of Jesus, both of which can be detected by how the congregation displays what Paul called the gifts of the Spirit. What's a church like? God's church is filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God's church needs to be a church. One of the worst things that ever happened to churches for me, was the popular idea that corporations are good analogies for churches. All too often I have heard, our church should be run like a good business. And every time I hear those words, I say, God forbid. Now now please understand that nothing in that analogy is meant as a critique for business. I respect well-run businesses that take care of their employees and deal fairly with their customers and pay their taxes. My point is that a business is a poor model for a church. God's church should function as a church. A business focuses on a strong institution. A church focuses on a strong mission. A a business seeks monetary profits as a sign of success. A church seeks contributions to its budget only in order to devote that money to specific ministries. Business nurtures leaders who are good 
supervisors and managers. A church nurtures servants, the quality of whose leadership is directly proportionate to their compassionate involvement in support of others. A business looks at a balance sheet. A church looks at its compliance with the Beatitudes. A church does not need a board of directors and a business plan. A church needs a community of ministers guided by the directives of compassion, a spirit of generosity, and a maximizing of ministers. You remember when Jesus said that God's church lives by dying, benefits from giving? Does that sound like what a church should be? How is it? Rather early in my ministry, probably too early, I served a large church in Texas. The bylaws of that congregation named the senior minister, I was the senior minister, named the senior minister as the CEO of the church who reported to 72 deacons who envisioned themselves as the board of directors. I also had the former two ministers in that church. Now, my responsibility was to supervise 11 ministers and about 20 other staff members, as well as annually preparing and monitoring the church's budget. On one year, when the congregation was not meeting its budget, I was told I should cut the budget and report the changes that I had made. A week or two later, I reported back to the deacons. Among my decisions, I announced that we would no longer have air conditioning for worship or (laughs) for other meetings in the buildings. I removed funding for cleaning the buildings. No more budget for that. And I said that Sunday school classes would take care of doing all of the housekeeping in the church. Now, I'm not going to go on naming those other things that I did, but you can guess kind of how that went. Um, For one thing is that when I did that report, as I had hoped it would, it terminated me as the CEO. (laughs) And I also helped the deacons see that priorities of a church are not the same as that of cooperations. It's a church, I told them. The most important matters of the church are to provide hope, love, care, shape good news, provide forgiveness, comfort, and offer grace, not just to talk about it, but to do it. The money of the church needed to be used in ministries, not on ourselves. The church belongs to God and does the church's responsibilities. No one person 
should or can be responsible for a church. Northminster is not a pastor's church. It is not an officer's church. It is not any group's church. In any church, nobody in the church should be powerful enough to override everybody else. A church is a community. It's a body. And thank God, from day one, Northminster Church has stressed the reality that here, everybody is a minister. Everybody. God's church has much more for us to do than any one person or group of people in the church can do. And maybe sometimes we get it wrong. But even then, if we get it wrong, we know that's not right. This is God's church, and everyone in it is called to be a minister. Tonight, in our church's business meeting, we will be selecting five people to serve on a committee that ultimately will recommend a new pastor or pastors for the church to approve. We will not be calling a pastor or pastors because we want them to take over the church and tell everybody what they need to do. The pastoral ministry we need involves helping us understand the Bible, how to listen, developing a sound theology that helps shape the entirety of the church's methodology, maximizing grace and generosity, encouraging us in our ministries and enabling us to see how we can do God's work with individuals and the community. Personally, this isn't in the Bible, it's mine. Personally, as a pastor for more than 50 years, I have always thought that truth-telling is the primary responsibility of the ministry for me and must come first of all, or the other ministries will be weakened. For me, standing in this pulpit is the holiest place in which I have ever stood or stand. Yes, a church needs a pastor who can be a priest, a prophet, a worship leader, a teacher, a comforter, and a caregiver. However, I have always seen my highest priority as telling the truth regardless of how easy or difficult that is. And let me tell you, sometimes that is difficult. A long time ago, when I began my ministry, I resolved that a church may fire me but a church will never be able to hire me. Popularity, affirmation, and raises are not for sale. 
I was called by God to be honest in and about God's church. Without that attitude, I would never have been much use as a minister of God. Now I want to repeat one sentence uh, that I just said, and I want to add three words to it. A church needs a pastor who can be a priest, a prophet, a worship leader, a teacher, a comforter, and a caregiver. But not alone. No pastor or pastors alone can make a church. Pastoral ministry must be supported by the church for there to be a church. People in the earliest churches were responsible for teaching and visiting, distributing money, hospitality, outreach, music, and various talents. Regardless of who comes to this church for ministry, you, this church, will have to be supportive of them. They need it. The church needs it. And I hope you know, you will need to be alongside the pastors, seeing that this work of being church is done. The best definition of church leadership is servanthood. Church leaders are servers. A church is others-oriented, not self-serving. Mutual trust and shared ministries are mandatory. The options and actions that matter most in any decision-making in a congregation is a congregation's discernment of what is most consistent with God's Word. Whose church is it? Look at the church at Acts, then look at the church in Corinth. To whom does Northminster Church belong? If the incentive answer to that question names the identity of anyone but God, change must happen here immediately. However, as long as the answer to that question, who's running Northminster Church, is God. This is God's church. And all of us are trying to do church God's way. We will not only have a future, but also great potential and promise. This is God's church.
for fear of sounding like a broken record for those few of us who may remember what a broken record was. Uh, <laughs> a reminder that please wear your mask to communion and only take it off as you're partaking of the elements. And also don't reach out for the elements, but just hold your hands out so the elements can be either be put in your hands. Thanks so much.
be seated. Before our closing hymn, we have a few opportunities and announcements. Tonight, beginning at 7 o'clock, we will have a very important business meeting here in the sanctuary, as Dr. Gaddy mentioned. Please plan to be present as we elect five members to the pastor search committee from the 10 nominees suggest or submitted by the coordinating council. The five elected will join Peggy Burns, our coordinating council chair, and Patty Pate, chosen from the council to be our seven-member search committee. Please also plan to bring a dish as we enjoy the food and fellowship of potluck dinner beginning at 6 o'clock. Also at 6 o'clock, we uh, plan to have a Zoom time. I'm sorry about, I know we're all sick of Zooming, but with, uh, with leaders in the fraternity of Baptist Churches of Cuba uh, who will talk to us about the, the current situation in Cuba. Uh, they are uh, really having a very difficult situation with food and, and, and getting medicine. Uh, also hyperinflation occurring in Cuba. Unfortunately, they will not be talking about the, the, uh, what's been happening in the last week or two with the demonstrations because this, this, uh, the fil they filmed actually what, what our Cuban friends told us. So, but, so if you'd like to, to participate in that, we'll be in, back in the, uh, uh, in the large classroom in the, on, in the educational space. Remember that our mission trunk emphasis for July is back to school supplies. Please see the insert in the order of worship, worship for specifics of what items are needed. And those supplies will benefit children who otherwise might go without because of their financial situation. If you're not a member of Northminster and would like to inquire about membership, please email or call the church office and someone will get back in touch with you or speak to one of our worship leaders today. We welcome new members. And following the service today, please feel free to take uh, some of the flowers on the communion table to help brighten your or someone else's week. Otherwise, please check out the other announcements in the insert in the order of worship. And as we say each week, if you found a place of community or healing or hope at Northminster and believe in the work we're doing, please consider supporting us financially so that we will be able to continue creating a space like this in the days to come. Now please stand for the closing